the Old Testament prophet who was rather miserable uh, in these events that take place here that we are studying this evening. We're in chapter 3, and we are going to be looking at the first four verses of the third chapter of Jonah. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Suzanne told me one time she was in a church and the minister said, listen for the word of the Lord, not listen to. It was a liberal church. But here we listen to, not for, to the word of God. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go to the city among the, about going a day's journey and cried out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of these to the least of them. And notice it says they believed God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Do pray for me as I try to preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this evening. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray, send revival to our church. Oh, Lord, we would long to see people here with every seat filled and not to stroke our ego and not anything of the nature would rather to see people on fire for the gospel, on fire for Christ, on fire to hear the word of God read and preached. We pray that you would stir us up. We pray that more people would be committed and more people would come to evening services. What a great day, great way to end the Lord's Day uh, with uh, coming together for worship. We adore you, O God. We pray for your grace as we come this evening to consider this text. I ask you to help me as I preach it. I ask you to help the congregation as they listen to it. And it would be, O oh Lord, that we would increase in knowledge and sanctification this evening as we are gathered here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever seen someone who was wronged and they forgave the person when they came to them asking forgiveness? And as you saw that, and you know exactly what take place in their lives, you said, I just don't get it. I don't get how you can forgive that person for what they did. I don't get how you can act as if nothing ever happened. I just don't get it. Or perhaps someone has offended you somewhere along the way, and you just can't get beyond it. When you think about them, you think of the offense. When you think about them, there's a certain amount of upsetness that comes bubbling up inside of you, and you just can't get over it. Our example for forgiveness is demonstrated very clearly here in the text, and that is the one living and true God. And let me say this. I don't care how much someone has offended you. It's not nearly as gross as the offense we give to God when we sin against him. When you have someone offend you and sin against you, it's just one sinner sinning against another sinner. When we sin, it's a sinner offending a God who is totally and completely, infinitely righteous and holy and just. There is a big, big difference. The mystery of it is that God could uh, very have very well not forgiven us. 
He was not bound to forgive us. Uh, he was not in any way forced to forgive us. And what Dr. Robertson quoted someone in class one time saying that we get God over a barrel when we ask forgiveness. Well, that's nonsense. You don't get God over a barrel. Uh, Dr. Robertson did not say that. He said somebody else said that. He wouldn't believe such a thing. He would never say such a thing. But this evening we see here this restoration of Jonah who went to great lengths to avoid what God, doing what God told him to do and demonstrated a high hand of sinning against the Lord. Well, this evening, as we go through this, we need to remember that because God is a God of infinite forgiveness, we should always be encouraged to go to him in repentance. He will in no wise turn anyone away who comes to him in sincerity and repentance. Well, the first thing then is that a repentant Christian necessarily has had a change of heart. And the repentant Christian has necessarily had a change of heart. We see a change in the attitude of Jonah. Uh, it is like you go to sleep one night, like it was in January or February, when it was out so terribly cold and there was ice everywhere and it was uh, freezing. Uh, and then you wake up the next morning and it's springtime. And the flowers are budding and the bees are buzzing around the flowers and all this just overnight. Well, that's the kind of change. It's a drastic change that Jonah has had. He goes from being a rebellious prophet and now he is a ready prophet to go and do what God calls him to do. Now, that's not to say, Charles, you get me some water? Or just you do it. Just right there, if that door is open. That's not to say that Jonah was happy about what he was going to do. That he was happy about going to Nineveh and preaching. But the point is, he did have a change of heart, and he does what God has told him or has told him to do. He's going to do that. And Jonah learned some lessons, needy lessons, uh, that dealt with uh, him for his God. What? Oh. Uh, as God dealt with him for his rebellion. Uh, and again, as we read this and see what, the, what transpires, we see that God is sovereign over everything. This is not a, a, an event of chance happenings. Happens chance, happenstance. It's, it's, it is the hand of God guiding and ruling and controlling everything. From Jonah being on the boat, from Jonah being asleep in the bottom of the boat, from the lots falling on Jonah, revealing that Jonah was the man that was the cause of this problem, uh, to Jonah talking to the men, they're being converted, to being thrown overboard and being swallowed by a great fish, and the fish taking him to safety. All of this demonstrates the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. So the book is replete with the sovereignty of God. And it's interesting to keep in mind, creation responds, responds obediently to every command God gives it. I know I've told you all this. I'm going to tell you again because it's just a fascinating bit of providence. When we were in um, Atlanta and I had done the, the wedding over there for... Uh, um, thank you very much, <laughs> Lauren. Uh, thank you, Jess. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, we got a phone call at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock our time, from, uh, I'm trying to turn this thing off, from James, where James said the water was up to the stoop, and then another one said the water was seeping in, then Jess called and said the water's pouring in the house. This is what I read um, for my regular reading, I was happened to be here uh, for my devotional in, in uh, um, 
Job chapter 37. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumblings that come from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Otherwise, the downpour, his mighty downpour, which Harvey brought a mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men may know he made who he made, that all men whom he made may know it. The beasts go into their lairs and remain in the dens. From his chambers comes the whirlwind, the cold from its scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given uh, by the broad waters, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick clouds with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the inhabited world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Now, excuse me, when I read that, that Sunday morning for my devotional, I can't tell you what a comfort that was for me to read this. It was just a chance event, right? As God is sovereign over the events that take place in the book of Jonah, the Lord is sovereign over that storm that fell, as well as sovereign that I happened to be reading that text in Jonah that next morning. God controls all things. It's just like when Jesus can stop the weather. You remember they were out on the boat and he called, he spoke to the wind and the waves and they stopped. And the men said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, our God is sovereign over the things that are happening in this book, the things that happened to Jonah. And by God's providence, the fish spat Jonah out somewhere on the coast. Now, he's not at Nineveh. Nineveh is landlocked. It's the capital of Assyria. He did not vomit Jonah up on the land in Nineveh. Probably somewhere on the coast of the Mediterranean. I don't know. But he had a change of heart because his heart was hard against the Lord. You have to have an awfully hard heart to be a prophet, uh, to be one who knew God very intimately, to have a message God gives to you and completely ignore it and do the opposite of what God tells you to do. It's just as foolish when we do things God tells us not to do. Well, we know better and we do it anyway. At that point, we need to have a change of heart. Uh, St. Clair Ferguson said he needed to be broken, melted, molded, and filled with the love of God for the loss before he would have any use to God in the field of service. Jonah did not care that the Assyrians were going to pay with their, uh, with their lives for eternity. He didn't care. He knew them. Assyria was the arch enemy of Jerusalem, of God's people, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, it had been prophesied by uh, Hosea that they were going to fall to uh, the Assyrians. Jonah knew that. He also knew if he preached to them and they repented, he would likely be bringing to power uh, so they wouldn't be destroyed by God, the nation that was going to destroy his own people. So God used the... Uh, rebellion of Jonah for holy ends for his own purposes. And have you ever heard God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick? Have you ever heard that? You have. Okay. So that's exactly what he does here in this case. He uses the rebellion of Jonah to bring about good things. And one of the most important things that happens is Jonah is taught a lesson. 
He learns a lesson from God. So he goes. And you think about this. What happened to the mariners on the ship? Well, they were converted. They offered sacrifices to God. They were converted. Had it not been for Jonah trying to run away, had not been for Jonah hiding in that boat, then this would have never happened. And you know, the storm was so intense, they were jettisoning the cargo, and finally they found out that Jonah was the cause for it. And God used that event in the life of those men on that ship to bring them to a saving knowledge of himself. And Jonah learned that you cannot outmaneuver God. There's no point in trying. It was foolish for him to do so, foolish for him to even think so. So then God shows Jonah how great he is by sending that storm. And Jonah then ends up in the, the uh, uh, back at, at maybe home. I don't know where he is, but all because God took him back by special delivery. So we don't know where he was. We know that he was washed up somewhere, very likely, on the shore of the Mediterranean. He may have gone to worship. Uh, he may have had to take some time to recover from his experience. I guarantee you this is frightening to him. We read about this, but the man was inside a fish. That would have been terrifying. And he wasn't there for a little while. He was there for three days that he was in the belly of that fish. So the Lord taught him lessons. Jonah thinks about those events. And God uses even the results of Jonah's disobedience to equip him for the service. And it may be that it took a while because word finally spread to Nineveh about what happened to him. You remember, people talked. Things spread. They had people that would take messages. And that's what one commentator said. Perhaps it is that it took some time so that the message could reach around the area and finally reach to Nineveh that they heard what had happened to this man, Jonah, because they respond to his preaching when he goes there. And we'll not look at that tonight. We'll look at it later. So what did Jonah learn? Well, he learned again that God was sovereign. He learned that disobedience will not be overlooked. God has not overlooked our disobedience. The reason we may not suffer immediately for what we do is God's patience and God's grace and God's kindness. But just because we do not suffer because of something that we have done in rebellion against God does not mean he didn't notice, does not mean he doesn't care. He is not pleased with our sin. And never forget what dear Bill Combs said one night when he was preaching. God takes our sin personally. So it is that it offends him and he is not pleased with it. But the Lord had changed the heart of Jonah. It's like a hospital bed that is soiled and even has blood on it. The person that works there comes and strips off those sheets, puts on clean, fresh sheets. It's that kind of change. It was a drastic change. Because he is going to go and he is going to do what God called him to do. And Jonah learned this, listen to this, by the grace of God. It's not that Jonah was a man who was so spiritually aware, so spiritually awake, that he learned this on his own. He reasoned through it. And so he, by his own initiative, decided the best thing to do would be to, to worship this God because he's sovereign and he can't get away with trying to be rebellious against him. Uh, Jonah learned these things by the grace of God. Uh, it is that raw circumstances do not teach us anything. If we depended upon circumstances, we would continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. But when God steps in, 
and his grace works. And God teaches us through his word or through the proclamation of the word by his spirit. Change comes. And so that all change that takes place in our lives that are good and for good are according to God's grace and according to God's working. And what happens is that great work called sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man or enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. When was the last time you prayed this? Oh God, Holy Father, please sanctify me. I know these sins are in my life. I know my heart's hard against you. I know I do things I shouldn't do. I know I love things I shouldn't love. Oh God, please grant sanctification to me. Grant me, O oh God, the grace to turn away from those things that displease you. Grant, O oh God, me the grace to love the things that you love. And you pour out your heart before God and you plead before God that he would change you. When was the last time you prayed that? We should be praying that every day because we sin every day. Second Thessalonians 2.13. It is that God has chosen from the beginning you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. God would have you to be obedient. God would have you to be holy. He would have you to be like Christ. And so when we fail and we sin against the Lord, we are doing the exact opposite of what God intends for us. He chose us. He saved us. He's working through sanctification of the Spirit. And where are the areas in our lives that we see them? And we don't change. We just love the world so much that we can't change. We love our way so much that we don't want to change. But we were saved to be like Christ. We were saved to be holy. Saved to be brought into a deeper relationship with our God through our Savior. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man again. Regeneration, a work of God's spirit. Sanctification, a work of God's spirit. That God is at work molding us, shaping us, making us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So that every time we rebel like Jonah did, every time we sin like Jonah did, we are uh, doing the contrary to God's intentions for us. He would not have us to be wicked. I was listening to Alistair Begg's sermon on um, the Titus text. That is such an intricate involved, so much theology in that text. And uh, he said this, something like this. God did not save us so we can continue to live in the pigsty. He saved us to get us out of the pigsty so that we might be holy before him. Well, so repentance necessarily means there must be a change of heart. Another indication that repentant Christian will be ready to obey the summons of God, will be ready to obey God. Repentance brings change. Change of heart. Change of mind, change of action. Repentance brings change. True repentance brings change. Change of heart, change of mind, and change of action. He tells us here, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. What a gracious God. (laughs) God could have left Jonah in the belly of that fish and sent somebody else. He could have done that. But he didn't. He wanted Jonah to go, and he works grace in Jonah's life 
So Jonah ends up doing exactly what God wants him to do. What a marvelous, gracious, and kind God we have. Every day that you reflect upon the fact that you're not in hell, you say, what a marvelous and gracious and kind God we have every single day. Because had we been in hell at this moment, justice would have been served. Because that is what we deserve from our holy and gracious God. But he deals with us according to his grace, according to his love, according to his compassion. So Jonah uh, had already had one chance to serve God, and he chose not to. Well, now he has another chance. The word of God came to Jonah a second time. Calvin said this, There is set before us a remarkable proof of God's grace. He was pleased to bestow on Jonah his former dignity and honor. The dignity and the honor of going to a foreign place and preaching the gospel and doing what God called him to do. And if you notice the text, there's a little bit of change. It's kind of subtle, but there's a slight change uh, in the two calls. In chapter 1, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then Jonah runs away. Well, over in chapter 3, it says this. Uh, so Jonah arose, let's see, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so here it is a particular. And what is given to them here is the opportunity to come to repentance. And God bless, I wish the Lord blessed my preaching like this. God blessed his preaching. If there was a national revival uh, in that city, as you know, well, they all eventually fell because Nineveh was eventually destroyed, uh, as we know from the scriptures. Uh, so Jonah goes as God tells him to, and he goes as he was told, and he preaches in that city, and he preaches the possibility of forgiveness and restoration. So he's not going and just saying, God's going to destroy you. There's nothing you can do about it because he's mad. And he's, when he gets mad, he doesn't change his mind. That's not what he says. Yet 40 days, you're going to be destroyed unless you change, unless you come to repentance. This is one of the great stories of the Old Testament of God's grace. Again, in the life of this man, Jonah, in the life of the mariners, in the life of the people, the citizens of, uh, of uh, Nineveh. So he obeys the voice of the Lord. And doesn't run away this time. And displays his faith by going to Nineveh to preach. He obeys God's command. Now again, I said a moment ago, I'm not sure that he was happy about it. But he did it. He did what God called him to do. He's going to a strange land. He's going to a hostile people. How does he know? When they find out he's a Hebrew, they're not going to kill him. Again, these were enemies of the people of God. How does Jonah know that they're not going to kill him? Well, he doesn't know that. All he knows is God told me to do that, and that's what I'm going to do. So he obeys God here, and again, it shows true repentance in his life as he goes to these people who are hostile to his own people and a people that are very, very pagan. These people are about as far from God as anybody can possibly get. They're a pagan nation. And yet we see God's compassion and grace toward these people. And at the end of the book, it's very interesting. Um... We're certainly not there yet, but I'm going to say it anyway because you know the story. When he's talking to Jonah about the mercy that he had upon the city, he also mentions the cattle that are there. Very interesting. Not to mention the cattle that are there. So God had mercy on the city for the sake of the people and apparently for the sake of the animals that were there. 
as well. So he goes. Uh, he is doing what God tells him to do. And God, as he goes, um, uh, he blesses his uh, efforts with success. And the last thing is uh, that um, repentance is always, always accompanied by obedience. Always. There's no such thing as obedience that does not result in a change of attitude and action. So as we read this this evening and come to this conclusion, we recognize that our God is a God of great grace. And there's no sin that you can commit when God says to you, that's it. That's enough. I've had it. Don't come back to me. Don't ask me to forgive you. Don't ask me for your help. It's over. People do that. People do that. God doesn't do that. You know that I was having lunch. It was back when Jason Little was here years ago, and it was with another man in the Presbytery. And word came out that this man who uh, died was beating his wife. Had no idea. And he was very uh, central in uh, the Presbytery. And the man I was having, it was Bill Fitz, and he was lunch with. And Bill said this, David, I think the Lord took Irv because he was sinning so much. Irv died. Had a heart attack and died. And that's one way God gets his children out of sin, by taking their life. You remember in the book of First, Second Corinthians, he talks about some of you have gone to sleep because of their sin. But he is a God who is gracious and kind, so in that case, even the death would be an expression of his grace to bring us out of a life of rebellion and bring us into his presence so that we can't sin anymore. But what an encouragement to us as sinners, and what a burden we should have for those that we know that are outside of fellowship with Christ. It's called evangelism, to invite people to come with you to worship. You can say this. Come here, our pianist. He's good. He's very good. Come listen to our pianist. You can, you can listen to the preacher too, Jess. Uh, he's not quite where Scott is, but you're, you're doing well, Jess. You're doing very well. I don't want to uh, do anything to, to kind of put a hamper on your, your efforts. Sinclair Ferguson wrote a, uh, in his book on the study of Jonah that there was a man that was in his church. He's a very, very godly man. He got cancer. He was dying. He knew he was dying. And I assume this was somewhere in Scotland because of the description of the hospital and how it seemed there were a lot, a lot of people in one big room. And there were these two young boys there, I think uh, 12 and 13 or 11 and 12, I can't remember. And the man gets word of this, this man that's sick. And he talks to them finally. They had never heard of who Jesus was, had never heard of Christ. And he witnesses to them. And he said that this was a failure of the church, a failure of God's people. You're the church. You're the church. Be bold for the cause of Christ and for the gospel to share your faith. Don't be in, what does Paul say in Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And if we love Jesus as we should love Jesus, we should love to tell people about him. If you love your wife, you really love your wife, and you talk about her, you talk about not how her faults, how wonderful she is. I've got to tell you, she's wonderful. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. And why do you do that? Because you love her. You should be married to her. She's great. She's wonderful. Well, Jesus is a whole lot more wonderful than Melinda. I guarantee you that. So if I can speak nice things about my wife, and I do because she is wonderful, Christ is much more. So let us have the grace to witness for our Savior and see Houston turned around because of our faithfulness to tell about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you especially that it demonstrates to us what a kind and gracious God you are. That this man, Jonah, who willingly uh, rebelled against you, refusing to do what you told him to do, and was so foolish enough to think that he could outmaneuver you. And yet, uh, sometime later, you called him again to go, and you gave him the grace to go. Lord, may we be bold for the cause of Jesus. May we be, uh, have a passion for telling people about you, O oh Lord. We pray that you would grant... Uh, us the grace to talk to neighbors, to talk to friends, to talk to co-workers about who you are and how wonderful you are, our God and Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.